much reflection, discussion, and prayer with my family. I feel that now is the time for change as we enter into a new decade of Michigan State football. I told our players on many occasions that Michigan State is bigger than any one person. It's the program that's so important. Someday there will be someone else here talking to you from this podium. That day has come. My plan is to stay on within the university and athletic department in a role involving special projects, especially transitioning our players, both current and incoming, to their next challenges. It's truly been an honor and a privilege to serve as the head coach at Michigan State football. I will forever be a Spartan, and I want to thank everybody at Michigan State for all that they have done for the D'Antonio family. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colton Pouncey. We are your hosts, and it's time to talk signing day. Michigan State basketball is lost to Penn State. And, oh, wait, hold on a second. I'm being told that uh, Mark D'Antoni has stepped down as Michigan State football coach. Wow. Stunning, Stunning news today. February 4th, we're, we're recording this. Technically, it's the 5th where Colton is. Uh, busy day in East Lansing, without a doubt. Colton, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, just a bit of a slow news day. but Chill day. Uh, yeah, not, not much going on. But uh, so, <laughs> so after weeks of us talking about how there was nothing to talk about on this podcast, uh, we're hit with a bombshell. D'Antonio's announcement coming out via tweet this afternoon. Uh, how did you find out? Where, where were you when you read the news? Because you were the one who gave me a heads up. Yeah. So, you know, I was I was minding my own business. You know, it was, it was a Tuesday afternoon. I was just kind of hanging out, um, working on some stuff ahead of signing day. And uh, I get a Slack message from Nick Baumgartner, our columnist here at the Athletic Detroit covers Michigan, Michigan State, and the Lions. Um, so he had messaged me and said that he, you know, got a message on on Twitter about D'Antonio maybe stepping down at some point this afternoon. And I don't think he put a ton of stock in it, but he, like, you know, passed it along to me and said, hey, keep an eye out for this, you know, just in case anything comes of it. I don't really think it's much, but, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at it. So, uh, you know, I hopped on Twitter. I was, I was kind of reaching out and – you know, set, set out a few feelers to see if anything was going on with this, if this had any legs. Um, and then I see, I started to see some more concrete things on Twitter. Uh, yeah, you sent you sent me Jim Caparoni's tweet. Yes. So and, he had messaged. Yeah. yeah. He had uh, he had said that it, it had legs, and I'm like, you know, Comp's a pretty trustworthy guy. Um, so I called my editor and said, "Hey, this might happen. Uh, what what do you want me to do here?" And she just said, immediately start writing. Uh, I got home with her. I reached out to you. Uh, you reached out to Bruce Feldman. Uh, we were trying to confirm that on our end. And then, I kid you not, within five minutes later, uh, I had my tweet notifications on from Mark D'Antonio, luckily. That's and, a good uh, call. Yeah. So I, I saw the tweet. He announced his retirement. And I'm pretty sure MSU Twitter just burned to the ground today. So uh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was driving, and you had sent it to me, I'd send it to Bruce, and i go on Twitter, it was literally the first thing that popped up, and I was on my way to pick my wife up from work, so I wasn't going to be home for a bit, so I'm scrolling through Twitter while driving for a while, not, don't do that at home, kids, but uh, <laughs> kind of, just kind of had to, and yeah, surprising news, D'Antonio announces it via tweet in a letter and a press release, he later spoke at a 
little press conference for the basketball game. Uh, we'll get into what he said in a moment. Um, but Colton, you were there in the room when when he when he talked for the, for the game. What what was just kind of what was the mood like? Yeah, it was it was it was kind of an uneasy feeling. I don't know if that's the right word, but it was kind of like this uncertainty in the room. Um, you know, a lot of people got there like an hour before the press conference. D'Antonio was about 20 minutes late to it anyway, so that kind of added to the drama and the buildup of that press conference. But, you know, I think because this kind of came out of nowhere, like not a, not a ton of people saw this coming today. Um, we couple that with the fact that he had been quiet since the pinstripe bowl. You know, he hasn't come out and said a word. You know, I, I was at the coach's convention. He declined to talk to us there. Um, we, I think most people assume that he would say something after signing day. That would probably be the first time he made some public comments since the end of the season. And then a day before you have a bombshell like this. So I think a lot of people were caught off guard in that room. Um, it was kind of tense and quiet as we waited for him to come out and speak, um, in front of the podium. Uh, a lot of people were taking pictures of the room, which I thought was unnecessary, but there was, there was one picture of all the reporters and you were, you were waving at the camera. Yeah, because that was like the sixth photo I was in. So I was like, shit, I might as well pose for it. But, uh, you know, that was kind of the day. That was kind of like the mood. You know, a lot of people were just kind of seeing what was going to happen next and trying to document everything that that happened. And, you know, when he came out, he didn't speak for for too long, but I think he kind of hit on a lot of key points that people had questions about. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting day for sure. Yeah. So so let's get into the the reasoning here. Um, Well, well, first, I mean, let's real quickly talk about what it kind of what he means to MSU. Obviously the, the greatest coach in modern school history. I don't know if they're going to build a statue, but they might put his name up on the stadium one day with, with some of those coaches up there. Three big 10 championships, 2010, 2013, 2015, the Rose bowl win in 2015, a playoff appearance in 20, uh, I'm sorry, Rose bowl in 2013 playoff appearance in 2015. Um, uh, eight and five against Michigan, a, a sustained level of success that hadn't been seen since the 1960s. High level success that some didn't even think was possible at Michigan State anymore. Uh, absolutely left his mark. Uh, but the last four years had not gone well. I mean, they won 10 games in 2017, but four years of not great football, back to back seven and six seasons. And as he got into explaining why he was stepping down, it was it, it kind it was kind of some of the stuff we were saying two months ago. And he, he talked about burnout, not being able to see his family, not really being able to enjoy life. And that's a lot of the same stuff that Chris Peterson said to, uh, I guess, two months ago, a month ago, when he stepped down as the head coach at Washington is that it is absolutely a 24 seven, 365 day job, especially with recruiting now being a coach. And yeah, he's paid $4 million to deal with that. So no one's feeling bad for him, not necessarily, but it clearly had gotten to the point where it was too much. And it sounded like it had kind of been there for a while. He said, as he got back onto the road recruiting in 2020, going to high schools, he kind of got a sense that he maybe didn't have everything that, that he could give to it. He, he, didn't necessarily have a three-year plan moving forward when you're talking about 2021 kids, 2022 kids. And this is me reading between the lines. You know, I know he was asked if he would do anything differently, except down after 2017 or whatever. He said no. But reading between the lines, I kind of got the sense he felt like he should have done this two months ago, Mm -hmm. which is what 
we had been saying because of where recruiting was going, because of where things were going on the field and the timeline. Um, I don't know. What, what was your kind of initial impression of, of what he was explaining? Yeah, I mean, I thought back to November, um, you know, it was after that Michigan game when he was kind of talking about his future and, um, you know, what was next for him. Uh, and I, I remember him telling a story, you know, he said he was after a 14-hour day, um, you know, he went home and he sort of questions why he keeps on doing this. And, you know, his wife, uh, I, I believe she, they have conversations, you know, what, you know, are you going to continue this? What, how are you feeling? And he said he went home that night and kind of looked in his closet. And I think he said he found some sort of uh, Rose Bowl t-shirt or some item from that game. And he said, that's kind of what keeps him going. But it sounded like on that day, that was the same day he announced that he would, you know, return in 2020. It sort of sounded like he was, you know, making this decision in real time. Like in Yeah, and that was a weird press conference because he had been asked about what he tells recruits, and he says he just lives in the moment. And it wasn't until I think it was Chris Solari who asked him directly, are you going to be back next year? He said yes, because he had kind of dodged that type of stuff. And, it, yeah. and we said this at the time, that it was like, oh, I guess he's coming back because he seems to have just decided this on the fly, that this is what he's doing, because this is not what he had been hinting at. And he got more and more firm with follow-up questions. Or then he would say, at the moment, that's the plan. And it was very confusing. We, we, you're right. We said that at the time. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost felt like, you know, you know, that was a huge loss to Michigan. It was 44 to 10. It, it kind of seemed like he sort of realized right then and there, like, this is not how I want to go out. You know, I got people asking me about my job in the future. Like, I'm not ready to leave. Maybe he felt like he was you know, being forced out by the media. I don't know what he was thinking when he kind of went up there, but it sounded like as that press conference, you know, gradually progressed that he kind of came to the realization right then and there, you know, I, Hey, I'm going to be back. You know, I'm not done yet. My circle's not done. My circle's not complete. I'm, he's like, my father always told me to, to complete the circle. And that's what I'm going to try to do. And it, it really sounded like he was sort of trying to sell himself on that idea right then and there. That's more a good than anything way else. Yeah. So, I'm not sure if that was the case. I'm not sure how much thought he had put into it back then. I'm not sure if he had, you know, some sort of statement prepared for that day, but he kind of took that press conference and made it his own thing. And that's kind of what I look back to now. Um, you know, he's had some time to reflect. It's been a couple of months, you know, he's had a down period and it seems like he kind of came to the conclusion that, Hey, maybe I should reverse course here. Yeah. And, you know, defiant kind of the whole way coming off a loss to Michigan, you know, he didn't want it to end like that. Um, I, I do believe him that, that he is burnt out that, you know, he, he said he wrote the letter, I think last week uh, he had talked with the administrator about it. Didn't tell the team until today, but uh, you know, I, I, I do believe that this was, he did finally come to the realization recently Um and let's get into the timeline here right now. It's uh, it's really bad timing for everybody involved. This is this is the reason coaches stepped down in December. This is why Chris Chris Peterson did what he did because all those guys that MSU signed uh, are stuck at MSU now for probably for a coach that they didn't commit to. It's it's uh, the assistant coaches that he didn't make any changes to now may have to find new jobs at a time when most assistant jobs have been filled elsewhere. Um, it, it, uh, there, there's the, the bonus 
thing that everybody's talking about. And I'll just say this. I do not believe at all that Antonio stayed on just so he could get the bonus. Uh, yeah, had, you know, that, that could have been worked out in some way. You know, it, like- it, it, yes, he could have decided in December, I want to retire. I've got this bonus working out. I'll, I'll retire early if you give me some of that, all of that, whatever, and you can get moving forward. MSU, I have to imagine, would have done that. Yeah, Bill Beekman was saying to Antonio, can leave whenever he wants. He he said today, it's 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 on D'Antonio's timeline. He I I do not believe at all that he stayed to get the four point three million dollar bonus. Um, just kind of how things turned out. If he, he again, he could have gotten that any other time, but that doesn't but but that doesn't mean the timing for this is not very bad, and it is very bad. Yeah. Um. I, I do feel like people made a little bit too much out of the, the bonus thing because, again, that could have been worked out at any point. But when you're talking about making this decision the day before signing day, you know, that that's tough. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the inability to make staff changes or, you know, maybe he doesn't want to fire his friends. Well, you know, now it's February and a lot of those guys, if they were looking for other jobs, it's going to be tough for them to land at places because yes. those opportunities are are not as frequent as they were back in December. So, and this is what I this is what I said back in November, December, when yeah. Herm Edwards fired like three assistant coaches right as the regular season ended. I, I that's what I said. I said D'Antonio would be helping out his guys if he fires them early because it gives them more time to get another job. Yeah. And now, now they're kind of all in a really bad spot. As for the timing, this it, it has to be talked about the Curtis Blackwell lawsuit. D'Antonio said it had nothing to do with his decision. I I find that I just I find that very unlikely. It's it's one day after Blackwell's lawyers uh, regarding some of D'Antonio's deposition accused him of NCAA violations per M Live and Detroit News regarding taking Curtis Blackwell on recruiting visits or promising or hiring parents to jobs upon signing. D'Antonio's lawyer has said this is not true. Bill Beekman, the AD, has said these allegations are false. But, the, again, one day after he's been dealing with this for a while, I, I can't imagine it's a coincidence. Um, why do, why didn't this happen two days ago? Why didn't it happen this two days from now after signing day? You know, it's, it's you know, it, it's, you can't not think it played a role. It's, I, it's I hard not to, to connect the dots. Yeah, it's hard not it to is, connect the dots. It is. I, I talked to someone in the program a, f- a few weeks ago at the coaches' convention, and they had said that this lawsuit was wearing on Antonio a lot. Like, it was taking a lot out of him. And I, 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 he talked about, D'Antonio talked about wave after wave hitting him in the program over the last few years. This was another one. And this, this lawsuit has not been settled, and I am very, very surprised that it hasn't. MSU is paying D'Antonio's legal fees, but sh- surely you could have settled the lawsuit with the bonus he was about to make. P- PR experts are very surprised MSU didn't want to settle this, uh, but they decided to keep fighting it, and all this dirty laundry was eventually going to get aired, and, and now you have NCAA violations, D'Antonio gets a bonus, and he's out the door, and it's a really bad look. Yeah. And and now MSU is kind of left to pick up the pieces. Um, you know, I part part of my day was spent reaching out to players and, and seeing what their reaction was. A, a couple of players declined to comment because out of respect for Coach Antonio. Um, a few others just straight up told me they were shocked by this news and they didn't see it coming. Um, I also reached out to a few 
unsigned commits. And, you know, the top one, Jordan Simmons, running back out of Georgia, he had told me earlier in the day that he had to talk things over with his family and he wasn't sure if he was going to sign or not. And then later tonight, he just sent out a, his own personal statement on Twitter saying that he won't sign tomorrow and he's going to kind of take things over, take take time to kind of think things over with his family. So uh, there's some fallout within the players. And, and, you know, when you have someone like this, and, and again, we, we keep talking about the timing and how it's really not ideal and how this easily could have been settled in December. But it seems like D'Antonio was caught between two sides, whether he wants to, you know, try for another 10-win season, which looked unlikely given the 2020 schedule and the young players and all the departing seniors, or if he wanted to kind of ride off into the sunset and, and kind of go out and 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 just kind of retire after the season. So it, was, it seemed like he got caught in between, uh, you know, these two places, but uh, now we have this fallout from that. Yeah, actually, uh, maybe an hour before the news came down, Stuart Mandel, our boss, uh, slacked me and he said, he said, am I missing something or is Michigan State going to be really bad next year? And I was like, there's a really good chance of that because of who's coming back in the schedule. And, and Mandel said, he, Stuart said, he should have retired. It's going to end very ugly. <laughs> and here, a couple hours later, it, it, it happens. And it, it, it's a weird feeling. It's not exactly a celebration uh, because of the things that have happened off the field since because this is February and this is bad timing. He, If he had decided to step down after the regular season, he could have gotten that celebratory farewell leading up to the bowl game, you know, go out to, you know, great fanfare and whatnot. Instead, it happens in a tweet in a press conference in the Breslin Center, and he talks to the basketball game at halftime. Very, very inauspicious ending for a guy who completely changed Michigan State football. And he was asked if it's better, if it's in better shape than when he found it. You know, he said absolutely or whatever exactly he said. And that's true to an extent. It's not that much better now. It, it, this is not yeah. what it's. It's not the team that was in 2015. This is a roster that is in bad shape. Recruiting has been in bad shape. Uh, there is a lot of work to do. Next year is going to be a rebuilding year. And I found it interesting. Speaking of the timing, why he decided to do it now instead of giving it one more year. And he basically said he wants the next coach to make their own 2021 class essentially. Because if he if he would leave at the end of 2020, that's going to only compound the recruiting issues. So I will say it's better now than doing it another year. And depending on who they hire, I think there's still a chance that they could be in pretty good shape coming out of this. But uh, uh, mm-hmm. that's where things kind of stand on that. So looking back at Antonio's tenure, if you want to relive the highs a couple of months ago, about a month ago, we did an all-decade pod. Colton, Joe Rexrode, and I, we talked about the the biggest moments of MSU football in the 2010s. So all the highs of the D'Antonio era, you can go back and relive that. We talked about the win over Ohio State, the Rose Bowl, best players, all kinds of stuff. But you, you can't escape the lows of D'Antonio as he's on his way out. That 2016 class, man... Everything that went into that ultimately completely led to his downfall. The The class completely fell apart, led to problems uh, on, on the field. Three players were involved in an alleged sexual assault, later pled to lesser charges. That led to 
all sorts of problems. Austin Robertson, that leads, you know, he, he gets kicked off the team, commits an assault after D'Antonio stuck his neck out to bring him in. And that lead, that eventually leads to Curtis Blackwell's uh, not being brought back. That leads to all this lawsuit. Now, everything, everything just really goes back to that 2016 recruiting class. And uh, you wrote earlier about what's left of that group. But as we come back to signing day, you think about the last four years of Michigan State football, what do you think about? Uh, I mean, it, it hasn't been great. Um, you know, one thing that kind of stood out to me from D'Antonio's pressers, I think he was kind of growing tired of recruiting. You know, it didn't seem yes. like his heart was fully there. He talked about how recruiting has changed over the years, even from when he first started. And he said, you know, June is a big period for recruiting now. And he said, um, like June and July, those, those summer months where he's supposed to take time off with his family and vacation time. And he said, you can't really do that anymore because that cuts into those prime recruiting areas. And so I think that kind of wore on him. You know, he, he mentioned walking into high schools, even in January, walking into high schools, visiting players, talking to coaches. And uh, he said players would ask him, like, hey, are you going to be around for my entire career? You know, what's what's the future looking like? You know, he's out here recruiting guys for 2021, 2022 already. And uh, when they're asking him, will you be around in a few years? And he's like, well, I'll be 65 in a couple of years. You know, I'm, I'm getting up there. And he, he kind of realized, hey, I can't keep telling these kids I live in the present. I live in the moment. That's not really fair to them. I don't really want to do that anymore. I'm kind of past that point. So it seems like recruiting and every time he would look into the future, as much as he wants to go off the way he wants to go out, you know, a 10-win season maybe or, you know, a Big Ten championship, that would be ideal, obviously. But I think he saw the writing on the wall and realized, hey, we might be a couple of years from getting there. And maybe by that time, if I'm already feeling 50-50, maybe it's better to just kind of step away now. So that was kind of my takeaway from all of this. Yep, it's exactly what we not not predicted, but said was a problem two months ago. Yeah, and so so now he walks out the door just like that. He he his first year was my freshman year. They were coming off a four and eight season under John L. Smith, and uh, right away he changed things on the field. That first team, Colton wrote about it uh, or last fall, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, thirteen seasons, incredible success. As we think about the legacy of D'Antonio, I think it's I think it's two things. It's it's one the that long sustained period of high success, probably twenty ten to twenty fifteen, you could probably say that nobody ever really thought was possible at Michigan State, and he got it done. He beat Urban Meyer's most talented team ever. Uh, he won two Big Ten championships. They won the Rose Bowl. They won places people didn't think MSU would be able to win. And then you have to think you have, a big part of his legacy will be how this ended and four years of abysmal offensive football number of problems off the field various sexual assault problems that that was that was something that was ever present in his tenure giving guys a lot of second chances glenn winston comes to mind um the the 2009 rather hall fight with the football team um he he Always, always believed guys should get second chances. And sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. And that Austin Robertson thing is something that's always going to stick with his legacy. Somebody got assaulted because D'Antonio stuck his neck out to get him on the, to get him onto campus in the football team. And that's part of the legacy too. It, it's the highs and it's, and it's the lows. And it's, it's important to talk about um, 
both of those. Colton, you, you covered him for two years. What, what's kind of your thoughts on, on kind of where his legacy is right now at this point? Yeah, it, it's tough because I, I was here for the back end. and Yeah. You know, yeah. These weren't the greatest years. Of, Think, of things did not go great when Colton took over on the beat. There are many people on Twitter are blaming me for that. And uh, I, you know what? I'll take it. Yeah, hashtag, hashtag blame Colton, right? <laughs> yeah, make the t-shirts. Um, but, you know, the, the last couple of years, I've been able to get to know, you know, some former players, you know, the players that have moved on. And everyone I've talked to has said, you know, they've learned something from, from Coach D and uh, he's made them a better person in the end. Um, I, I think that's true. But I still think, you know, Tom Izzo was saying after, after the game, you know, he cried when he learned the news today. Um Obviously, those guys are close. Izzo said he hopes people will remember the good days and, you know, the the, the Rose Bowl and the college football playoff in 2013 to 15, those years. He, he says that he hopes people will look back on those days fondly and remember he was able to do something that not a ton of coaches have been able to do here. And I think that's important. But at the same time, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Uh, you can't just exclude parts of someone's legacy because they're a beloved coach. Um, it's kind of – you kind of have to look at it from – a total perspective. So uh, for me covering him the last few years, you know, I was kind of on the tail end, but I, I, I think because I've on, I've been on the tail end, I've been able to talk to people who were around for the beginning. Um, you know, the story I wrote in the fall was kind of based on his first year at Michigan state and um, the path to 110 wins and becoming the winningest coach here. So when you come in late, it allows you to kind of take a step back and, and kind of go back to the past and talk to people who were there from the beginning and, and saw this thing get, being built in real time. So I think that was cool for me to see, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is a, a legendary coach of the school, and he decided to step down today, and I think that's going to have some ripple effects. Yeah, you know, as someone who was there from the beginning, it's it's remarkable how much has changed since, like, I mean, really since I left Michigan three years ago. Um, before the D'Antonio press conference on, on BTN, they showed uh, – uh, the journey episode from Michigan State's 2013 Big Ten championship win over uh, Ohio State, and you think about a lot. You first you think about the talent on that team, the guys who ton of guys on that team who went to play for the NFL, and they're beating an Urban Meyer team. Secondly, you you think about who's in the locker room celebrating there: Mark Hollis, the AD, Luana K. Simon, the president. That was a period when MSU was absolutely on top in every aspect of everything. They had the best administrative synergy you could ask for, one of the best football-basketball coaching duos you could ask for. Uh, It was the golden era, really, for Michigan State sports, and things unraveled quickly. The Larry Nassar stuff happens, the, the ESPN OTL stuff. Hollis is gone. Simon is gone. People are going to jail, and and now and now D'Antonio's gone, and is Tom Izzo ends up being the last guy standing here. Really, uh, he's he he saw it build up, and he's seen it all fall apart. And both parts are kind of what you remember out of uh, D'Antonio's tenure because uh, it's better than he left it a bit, but. Uh, a lot has been chipped away in recent years, and we'll see what goes on next. And we got a couple of listener voicemails we threw out the line after the news came out. Um, we're going to try to keep doing this more as this search goes on. The number, if we throw it out again, 
uh, 517-798-6319 for your reactions on Mark D'Antonio. Uh, we got a couple here. One is a thank you, and one is more of a general reaction to the timing. This is Kenny Schrollinger from Daytona Beach, Florida. Just giving my thoughts on head coach Mark D'Antonio. Coach D was uh, all that we hoped for as Michigan State fans growing up, me growing up as a little kid uh, through that John L. Smith years and uh, always starting out sh- – a couple of games strong and then always just limping down to the end. You never would have thought that the program would be taken to the highs that Coach D took, uh, the Michigan State football program, and all the great memories that he uh, made for me as a child growing up and then even into college as uh, my freshman year was uh, the college football playoff year. So just want to say thank you to Coach D. I think every Spartan uh, fan, all of Spartan Nation is uh, forever grateful for him and uh, what he did for us, and as always, go green. Hey, guys, Jordan from Williamson. Uh, Enjoy the show. A lot of emotions today. Um, Being a MSU graduate, graduated in 2012. I was a freshman when, um, you know, the game against Notre Dame happened, uh, Little Giants. Saw Mark D'Antonio's best moments. Um, The initial thought that comes to my mind is, just kind of hate the timing, not so much even for the recruiting with signing day being tomorrow, but just seeing uh, with the accusations and all this, uh, I really wish he had a better way to go out. Um, understand the situation. Uh, hopefully we can find a, a, a solid coach. I'd like Luke Fickle. Um, it, it's, it's kind of bittersweet. You know, I, I've always been a guy who's been on D'Antonio's bandwagon per se. Uh, when he was uh, getting a lot of criticism and and people wanting him out. I was kind of one of the people I think that wanted to keep him in, um, but n- knowing there needed to be changes made, this is a tough way for it to happen. It's probably unnecessary evil. Um, I am interested to see how this affects the recruiting. Um, it'll be interesting, that's for sure. I think uh, we lost a good one, and I hope he's not underappreciated. I think a lot of people appreciate everything he's done, so. I appreciate you guys. I'm looking forward to listening to the pod. I think it'll be interesting to see what the overall reaction is. Thanks, guys. So what is next? Michigan State has a football coaching search for the first time since 2006, when I was a, when I was a senior in high school, and they talked on ESPN about if Tom Izzo could coach the football team because I, I guess Hondo threw that out or something, and it became a topic. I don't know. I think Izzo was asked about it. That things was brought were, up. That was brought they, up today yeah, too. <laughs> things, things, yeah, things were weird back then. Yeah. Uh, a guy named Brian Kelly was the coach at Central Michigan. He didn't get the job. A guy named Jim Harbaugh reportedly was interested in the job when he was the head coach at San Diego, uh, but MSU went with D'Antonio, who honestly was the perfect coach at the perfect time for Michigan State. They needed someone who not only would win but would build a foundation and stay. And the stay is is key there because. The reason he has that bonus, by the way, is because he got interest for other jobs. Uh, Texas a number of years ago. So if you're wondering why he has that bonus and why it's in January, it is a bonus. It's a retention bonus. It's to keep him from taking another job. That's what the bonus is for. Anyway, so what does this mean for the search? Well, the timing is really bad because everybody is preparing for spring football 2020. They're about to finish up their recruiting classes. It's going to be hard for any sitting head coach to leave a group of guys he just signed. That's a 
big factor here. This is why if this had happened in December, Luke Fickle might be the coach right now. Instead, there's a lot of questions about that. The timing is tough. Who is leading the search? Beekman is one of the least experienced high major athletic directors in the country. He was internal promotion after Mark Hollis stepped down, but most of his work is with the board of trustees. He doesn't have much athletics experience. The new president, Samuel Stanley, took over last summer. He doesn't have any major athletics experience. The board does, but they've been maligned since the Nasser stuff happened. I imagine Tom Izzo will play a pretty big role. But he's also in the middle of his Big Ten season getting ready for March. So who, who who's going to be leading this whole thing? They may or may not use a search firm. I guess that hasn't been determined yet. The roster's in a bad spot. you got to sell someone on a – this is going to be a three-, four-year rebuilding period. Are they going to offer a coach five years, six years? Because they're going to need some time to do that. you got to play Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State every year. This is a very difficult job. MSU does not have very much leverage – in this spot, if they want somebody, they're probably going to have to overpay for him uh, because that's what the timing is. So where do they go? Two names stand out above the rest. Luke Fickle, the head coach at Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Pat Narduzzi, head coach at Pitt, former MSU defensive coordinator. We don't know if either of them would take the job. This is not a simple oh, group of five, take a power five head coaching job or something like that. Cincinnati's going to be really good next year. Luke Fickle can be very, very picky. He's received interest for jobs before. He can do uh, – I we have said on this podcast for a while, I don't think there's a better fit for this job than Luke Fickle. It's the same path Antonio took from Ohio State defensive coordinator to Cincinnati head coach. Mm-hmm. And with the Jordan Simmons news <clears> – <throat> Cincinnati is two spots behind MSU in the recruiting rankings. He's already recruiting at the level MSU is recruiting at. Cincinnati is three four-star players in this class. MSU has zero. Uh, Narduzzi obviously knows Michigan State. He coached her for a number of years. But the administrative over uh, turnover is different. A lot of the people who were in charge last time, Narduzzi was here, are not in charge. He also hasn't won more than eight games, playing in the weakest division in Power 5. So uh, other possibilities, guys in the NFL, maybe Robert Saleh, the defense coordinator for the 49ers, Pat Shermer, the Broncos offensive coordinator, guys who are former players or former MSU coaches. Uh, Matt Campbell, it sounds like, has already turned down interest, the Iowa State head coach. Um, do you look at Brett Bielema? Do you look at... Butch Jones could go a lot of different ways here. Colton, what's Oof. kind of your initial reaction of where things uh, could turn? Butch Jones, really? Hey, huh. when Central Michigan he beat Michigan State in two thousand nine when he was the head coach at Central Michigan. When Butch Jones, huh? Dan Lefevre, and Antonio Brown came into Spartan Stadium. Hmm. All right, well, I mean, just just you know, looking at this from a glance, we've been a very much a pro Luke Fickle podcast in terms of who should be Michigan State's next coach. Um, he's an ideal fit. You know, he's a guy that's going to recruit Ohio and basically everything D'Antonio listed. Here's he went through a list and when asked who can I take had this, over. I had the same thought when I was watching the press conference. It's Luke Fickle. Yeah. So he, he said, Oh, I'm sorry. Someone, read, read those things. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was saying, you know, you need someone that has 
history uh, in, in the Big Ten or experience coaching in the Big Ten. Luke Fickle was D'Antonio's linebackers coach when he was the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Uh, he's obviously was the interim coach at Ohio State a couple years later. Um, he's got ties to the to the to conference. He obviously recruits Ohio very well, considering he's been there most of his life. Um, his entire his coaching, coaching career. career, he's never coached outside the state of Ohio. Exactly. So I know Michigan's it's a couple hours away, but you know he's got those ties there, and, and you need to recruit Ohio to coach at Michigan State. That's where you're getting most of your talent from, anyway. Even more so than recruiting inside Michigan, inside your own state. You know, Antonio pulls a bunch of players from Ohio. Luke Fickle is doing the same thing. He's done the same thing. Um, and the last thing he says is, is someone that kind of knows MSU. And even though Fickle, you know, might not have the personal ties to MSU, if D'Antonio is vouching for him and he feels comfortable enough and he decides to make that jump, I don't think I, I don't think it'll take him long to adjust or, or transition to uh, the culture here at MSU and, and kind of knowing what it's all about. I think he'll learn that firsthand from D'Antonio, who will remain at Michigan State in some capacity. That hasn't really fi- been figured out yet, but uh, he's still going to be around that building. So I, I think that'll be a smooth transition. Yeah, I mean, the big question is, does does he want the job? Is 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 this timing a problem? Like like I said, he's. I think there's a real good chance Fickle's the coach if this happens two months ago. Um, but he's just signed a really good class. Um, he knows they're going to be good next year. It's a tough spot to leave a lot of people. You just, you know, you're asking players to commit to your school. And then if you leave right after, that's, that's uh not a great feeling. Um, not everybody, a lot of coaches don't want to leave at this time of year because of stuff like that. So I, we both think MSU should put on a full court press. You know, it, the way this has gone down, if they still end up with Luke Fickle, I, I think there's a real chance MSU could still turn this into something quite positive moving forward. It'll take a number of years to rebuild things, and maybe he won't work out, but, you know, you never know with coaches. But in terms of, you know, guys who are built to do exactly what D'Antonio has done at MSU, play that same style, try to find under-the-radar guys, uh, punch above your weight. Fickle's been able to do that at Cincinnati. He, he He's Again, from Ohio, seems like a, a perfect fit. If it doesn't go there, who knows? Maybe they look to the NFL. I don't think Pat Shermer would get many people excited. We'll, we'll talk more about candidates next week or next time we record, probably next week, uh, once we kind of have a greater sense of who is in the mix. But uh, these are some of the possible names. I, I Personally, I think Brett Bielema would be a pretty good hire if, if that happened. I, I, there, there's possibilities here. I, I did a job profile, went really in-depth on, on – the factors that could affect the search and different guys who MSU might make a run at, who might fit, uh, check that out. Uh, Nick Baumgartner wrote a really good column about how this is a chance for MSU to get rid of the tunnel vision and really kind of invest in the change that has been needed for a long time. Colton wrote about uh, what this change was like for the players. So make sure you check all that stuff out on The Athletic. If you've made it this far and do not have a – subscription to the athletic if you go to the athletic.com slash green and white noise a and d for and uh you get 40 percent off a subscription colton is there anything else you want to say as we wrap up on this stunning day uh with mark d'antonio stepping down and msu moving into a new chapter in its football history yeah um I mean, for what it's worth, I, I personally think there's some talent to work with with this roster. I know recruiting has been down in recent years, but 
I have a lot of faith in the 2019 class. I, I'm, I'm high on that group. I think there's a lot of contributors from the 2018 class. Guys like Xavier Henderson, Jalen Naylor, Elijah Collins, Trent Gilson. You've got some players. And I think the question with Michigan State, you know, especially this year, you know, you mentioned the schedule and how difficult it is. And a lot of these guys will have to grow up quickly. I think the question always was, does D'Antonio want to be around in a couple of years when these guys are truly ready to compete? And it, when they when they reach their peak as college players and when they finally mature and put on weight, by that time, you know, he'd, he'd be like 65. I think the question always was, would he be around for that? And and if, if he was, would he make the necessary changes to get in coaches that, one, would be energetic and, and you know, enthusiastic to go out and recruit and continue that pipeline? And two, develop the, the current talent on the roster because that had kind of been stagnant. You know, player development was something that we've talked about a lot and how it, it hasn't lived up to expectations that it used to be at Michigan State. And so I think the question was, if D'Antonio stuck around, one, would he would he want to see this through and would he make the changes? You know, now that he stepped down, the next coach will have some players to work with. Um, he's going to bring in his own guys, his own staff, and, and they're going to identify the current talent on the roster and figure out who can play and who can't. And so now I think that kind of adds back some excitement, some some intrigue for the 2020 season and beyond. And uh, I'm kind of excited to see how that all plays out. Yeah. I mean, depending on where the search goes, there, there could be reason for the first time for fans to be excited kind of in the first time in a while. Uh, lastly, is there a defining moment or image or anything of D'Antonio that stands out in, in your two years, at least uh, covering this team? Oof. Um... Maybe it's maybe it's the end. Maybe it's it's a surprise win. I don't know. I haven't been around them for the last two years, and it's certainly been a down two years. But uh, not sure if there's anything that stands out to you. Yeah, I mean, my my takeaway from covering him is that he very much cares for his players. Um, you know, I think that that's gotten him in trouble at times when he puts too much trust in, the, in his players, and he goes to bat for them more often than maybe he should have. Uh, but I truly think he does care about his guys and the people that he brings into the program and, you know, the, the loyalty aspect of it all, you know, that's, that's been a, a key topic the last two years since I've been on the beat loyalty to his staff players on the roster, upperclassmen, whatever. So I, I think he's a loyal guy. You could argue if he's loyal to a fault or not, but I think um, he'll probably be remembered for that. And, and I think he wants to be remembered for that and how he kind of stuck by his guys to the very end. That's a good way of putting it. Both players and coaches really throughout his, his whole tenure. Um, I think back to a couple things. I, I think about the dancing he did in 2013, and he kind of got that idea from Davo Sweeney. Um, the joy he got from beating Michigan every single time, there was an edge there that MSU really, really, really needed. And then I think back to 2007, that first year, MSU blows the lead against Michigan his first game. <clears throat> My car calls him the little brother and everything. The state news. I wasn't uh, at the paper at the time, but the state news ran the headline, Embarrassing. And I think he, or maybe the, I, might, I don't know if it was directly him, but got really mad at the student paper for <laughs> for doing that. And uh, like a day or two later, I think it's when he did his pride comes before the fall comment. And I really think that that quote kind of defined him, both good and bad. That, that, exactly what that moment is what built MSU into what it was that it would not continue to be a, a pushover 
and MSU responds from that Michigan game to win the next two, beat at Purdue, beat Penn State, get to a bowl game, and everything takes off from there. And and pride comes before his own fall for the reasons we just said, the loyalty, the the the, the stubbornness to change. And, uh, yeah, so when I think about D'Antonio, I'll think about that. I think it's a proverb, pride comes before the fall, both good and bad, but uh, – one of his most famous moments as a coach, I think, is is a defining uh, moment for him, and it's a pretty fitting uh, way for us to look back at him. So, that'll do it here. Please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, to The Athletic. Tweet at us, give us feedback and everything. We always appreciate it. Support. So, for Colton Pouncey, I am Chris Vanini. Thanks to our producer, Mike Zimmerman. Shout out to the road dog, Jesse James, and we will see you on the other side. Who knows where that will be. Um.